Hello and welcome to the Enjoy Church podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope this message empowers, equips, and helps you become everything God has called you to be. Enjoy the message. Who's ready for the work this morning? We ready? I'm excited to bring it. Now, um, I'm preaching from an obscure passage. You guys can take your seats. I made the first service stand up when the scripture reading, but I like you guys, so you can... I love them. I like you. All right. Um, only reading from Judges chapter 20. It's, a, it's an obscure passage. It's not a passage that you would share when someone just becomes a Christian. It won't be a part of our new Christians course. It's Judges chapter 20. I won't go into too many of the details. You can do that in your own time. But let me just summarize it by saying, and being as general as possible, that a great atrocity was committed in the land. And God's judgment and God's justice was to be brought by the tribes of Israel. They felt convicted to do that. And so all the tribes rose up and said, we've got to, we've got to make this right. All 12 tribes, but actually 11, uh, out, of the 11, uh, sorry, out of the 12, one of the tribes said, no, 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 actually what they did wasn't that bad. So we're going to stand with them. Even though there was a woman who was violated and brutally murdered, we're going to, we're going to back those people. So the 11 tribes of Israel are like, well, if you're going to back them, we're convinced that we have to live with God's justice So we're going to have to go to battle over this. And we see a battle between God's own people. Pick it up in verse 15 of Judges 20. It says, At once the Benjamites mobilized 26,000 swordsmen from their towns. The Benjamites were the tribe that opposed the other 11, right? It says, In addition to 700 able young men from those living in Gibeah. Among all those soldiers were 700 select troops who were left-handed. Anybody left-handed in the house? Praise the Lord. If you want to take those extra anointing, you're more than welcome to. I don't think it's biblically correct, but each of their own. Each of whom could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. Now, the Hebrew word for miss actually translates to sin. And what they're trying to say is that these men lived holy, righteous lives. Isn't it interesting what happens when good people are under bad leadership? But they wouldn't miss the mark of God's plan, His purpose. They wouldn't sin by an inch or by a mile. I feel to encourage some people here this morning that whether you've missed the mark by an inch or a mile, the Bible says that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. You can't out-sin God's grace. It is greater than any one of the mistakes that you have made. And so if you've walked into this place, you're like, you know what, I don't relate to them because I've missed the mark. You're in good company because we've all missed the mark. We've all fallen short, but we've also received the grace of God, which empowers us to not just be forgiven, but to live the life that God has called us to live. Verse 17, Israel, apart from Benjamin, mustered 400,000 swordsmen, all of them fit for battle. The Israelites went up to Bethel and inquired of God. They said, who of us is to go up first to fight against the Benjamites? The Lord replied, Judah shall go first. The next morning, the Israelites got up and pitched camp near Gibeah. The Israelites went out to fight the Benjamites and took up battle positions against them at Gibeah. The Benjamites came out of Gibeah and cut down 22,000 Israelites on the battlefield that day. So what happened the first time they followed the voice of God out into battle? Did they win or did they lose? It's not a true question. They lost. They lost, right? But the Israelites encouraged one another and again took up their positions where they had stationed themselves the first day. The Israelites went up and wept before the Lord until evening and they inquired of the Lord. They said, shall we go up again to fight against the Benjamites, our fellow Israelites? The Lord answered, go up against them. 
Then the Israelites drew near to Benjamin the second day. This time when the Benjamites came out of Gibeah to oppose them, they cut down another 18,000 Israelites, all of them armed with swords. Then all the Israelites, the whole army went up to Bethel and then they sat weeping before the Lord. They fasted that day until evening and presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord. And the Israelites inquired of the Lord. They asked, shall we go up again to fight against the Benjamites, our fellow Israelites or not? The Lord responded, go for tomorrow. I will give them into your hands. And on the third time they followed the voice of God. God gave them the victory in battle. Why don't we pray? Lord God, I thank you for today. Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this place. I know we've got our plan. I know that we've got our expectation. But I just ask that you would have your way in this place. Bless us with your Holy Spirit. Speak to us with what we need to hear. Open our eyes to see, ears to hear, mind to understand, heart to receive. We're open to you in this moment, in this place. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Well, I've called this morning's message, God is in the details. Someone say, God is in the details. God is in the details. Now, if you picked up on it, it's a little bit of a play on words of the old saying, the old adage that the devil is in the details. Anybody heard that? Anybody said that after something didn't go the way you thought it should? Maybe, maybe not, right? The devil's in the details. What it usually means and what it refers to is a time where we overlooked a small detail that we thought was insignificant at the time, but in hindsight, it had a real large impact and influence on the overall outcome. We thought it didn't matter, but we look back maybe in a couple months' time, a couple years' time, we say, man, that was the moment. That was the turning point where everything went wrong or everything went right. And I didn't even recognize how significant it would have been. Now, reading the key passage, what we see is that the Israelites have most of the details down pat. They know who God wants them to send. They know what God is going to do in the battle, give them the victory. But they overlooked one small detail, which they asked them the third time. Right, God answered them the third time, which was when. When. You know what I find when we become frustrated and disappointed in our walk with God? It's because we're overlooking a detail. And most often, it's not why, it's not how. It's not what, it's when. When is, going to, when is God going to do what He said He's going to do? And in the waiting place and in the silence, we start to hear that as a no. God is saying no. I must have misheard God. But God might not be saying no. He might just be saying not yet. It's not my timing yet. You've got 99% of it right, but that 1% that you're overlooking right now is the reason why you feel the way you do. Paul was content in every situation in life. Didn't matter if he was in prison, shipwrecked, whether he was surrounded by people he loved or he was all alone in a prison. Didn't matter. He was content because he understood the details that were important to his assignment. We all do it though, right? We all get impatient. And I'm actually terrible with timing. It's one thing that I really need to work on. I've gotten a little bit better. But for example, on our first date, when my wife and I went on our first date, we were in the car. I made sure that we hit about 60, 70 kilometers before I said this to her. But I turned to her and I said, one day you're going to be my wife. Now, it's probably not the best thing to say on a first date. And I had the safety net of me traveling fast enough that she couldn't jump out of the car. She couldn't really get away from the date because she didn't have a license and I was driving her around. But I wouldn't recommend it for anybody in the house. 
Was I right? Well, it turns out I was because we're going to be married 10 years this year. I was right. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Pray for Mel. She needs it. But the timing was wrong. It's just the wrong time to say that. Maybe wait till you've been on a couple more dates and you have a conversation about stuff that's important in life. You just, you know. But even before we were dating, I was terrible with timing. I would always misread cues when we were kind of courting and I was trying to pursue her. And I was always picking up what she wasn't putting down, you know. <laughs> always. I remember one time it was like 1 or 2 a.m. We were texting each other for about four hours. Oh, yes. Thank you. That's what I thought, right? We're texting for four hours. It's 2 a.m., right? Who does that? I don't text any of my other friends like this. And she started, she started to open up to me and she confided in me. She said, Jake, I'm just so worried. I said, why are you so worried? She said, I'm, I'm 19 years old and I'm single. I feel like I'm never going to find the person that I'm meant to marry. It's, you know, the, the concerns of a 19-year-old. And I was there, I said, look, like, you don't have to worry about it because, you know, there's so many guys at church that are good and godly that, you know, you can just build relationship with. And she said, no, there's actually no one around. Now, that hurt a little bit because I'm here, you know. I don't know if I can be more here in this moment. And I said, you got, you stop going to be, like, don't be silly, right? Because you could get any guy at church that you want. She goes, well, what do, what do you mean? I said, you, re- you really can. You're, you're a catch. Any guy would be crazy not to see what's standing right in front of him. He's like, she's like, oh, that's easy for you to say. That's because you can get any girl at church you want. I said, first of all, that's not true. It's not true. I've been rejected multiple times. I can, I've, I've seen it in action. But she was exaggerating. She was using hyperbole to try and encourage me. I thought, you know what, that means that she likes me, right? So I was a little bit nervous, didn't know what to say. My, my little brother who's here, he, uh, he's not that much littler than me. He's a lot more muscly too. But I said, hey, I'm not really good with this kind of stuff. Could you help me with what to respond with? Because she said, you know, like you can get any girl in church. And I didn't know how to take that. And he said, all right, cool. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to write back, I can't have any girl at church because I can't have you. I was like, bro, is that... Is it too crazy? You know, like, am I going to wake up tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. So I shouldn't have sent that text. She's like, no, no, no. Look at how long she's been texting. Look at all the little things she's been dropping in. I'm like, cool, I'm going to go for it. So I text her back. It's not true because I can't have you. She kept doing those bubble things and then deleting and then bubble things and deleting. So what? So I started to get nervous. And she messages me back and she said, that's because you're like a brother to me. So... I wonder how many, I wonder how many times God has tried to answer some girls' prayers, but you friends are the right guy. You know, I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. Maybe he's already there. Maybe. I was right. I was in the right place, doing the right thing. We were building a friendship, a relationship. I was right about her. It was just the wrong time. The wrong time. How often do we miss what God has for us because we misinterpret the time? We overlook the detail of when is God going to do what he said that he's going to do. Now, I'll be completely honest in the house this morning. It's like all that I've got anyway. And I'm reading this thinking, you know, if I trusted the voice of God twice, and if I stepped out into battle, and I just saw in total 30,000 of the people that I love die, and God says, go a third time, I'm probably going to ask him, why is this time different? Because it feels the same. 
I haven't really changed all too much. I'm not changing who I'm fighting. Situation is still the same. Why is this time different to all the other times where I failed? Where you haven't come through, where I haven't seen your word translate to reality. Why is this time different? Maybe you feel like that this morning. Maybe you're asking, you know what? I've opened my heart up in relationships. I've put myself out there time and time again. And all I get left with is a broken heart and and a whole bunch of rejection and disappointment. Maybe it is. Maybe that's where you're at. And you're asking God, why is this time different? When God prompts you, maybe go ask him for a coffee. I can't do it, Lord. Why is this time different? I'm still the same person, right? Maybe you've stepped into a new job opportunity, but you've still got the failings of the last job opportunity on your mind. You say, God, I worked hard last time. I was punctual. I went the extra mile. I feel like I'm going to fail this time again. I feel like it's going to be the same outcome again. Why is this time different? Maybe you're going through something in your body. And you've come forward for prayer every single time the altar is open where prayer and praise reports are done, right? You put your hand up or worship comes and the worship leaders come to the front from prayer and you're there every single week. You're you're by your bed praying for all time. You're declaring the, the scriptures of healing on your life over and over and over again. And it's never changed, but God is saying, but this time's different. And then you're starting to wrestle with God saying, but why is it different? Because it's still the same scripture. It's still the same prayer being prayed over me over and over again. Why is this time different? Maybe you've been struggling in your marriage and you've been doing all the things that you know to do to make it better. You've planted yourself in the house of the Lord. You're getting counseling. You're doing things like date night. Date nights are important. You're doing all the things you know to make things better. And God is saying, persist and honor and continue in the covenant and commitment that you made. Because if you give it time, it will be better than any of the alternatives that you have. If you give it time, God will make it beautiful. The Bible says that God makes all things beautiful in their time. Book of Proverbs. It has to be in His time though. It's not when we want it. It's not always how we want it. But He will do what He said that He's going to do. Now it's a wrestle as old as time when it comes to what God says and what we see in our life and how we reconcile the two. And I get encouraged when I read about guys like Abraham who had a promise that was so ridiculous that he's sitting there at 100 years old and still not seeing the fulfillment of it, but still has faith. Abraham was promised by God to be the father of many nations, but we see in the book of Romans that he's almost 100 years old and he still has no kids or no kids that were promised with, uh, with Sarah for inheritance. And it says in Romans chapter 4, verse 18, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been written to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Anybody encouraged? (laughs) It's true. You're almost 100. I don't know too many people that are 100 having babies. I don't. And that Sarah's womb was also dead. Probably not something he told her, but he thought it. Yeah, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. His faith wasn't weakened by the facts because faith, the foundation of it, isn't ignorance. That's what we think some. I'm going to pretend like it's not there. I'm going to pretend like this is not my reality. Can I tell you that if you've got no money in your bank and you pretend like you have money and you go to the checkout, you're going to get turned around. The card is going to decline. It's a fact. 
but I also trust the truth that God is my provider and I have everything that I need. And I don't need to worry like the birds of the air or the flowers in the, in the field. They have everything they need. I'm a child of God, right? It's this reconciliation between what God says and what we're seeing. Faith isn't ignorance. It's the ability to acknowledge what you're facing but choosing to trust what God said. That's what it is. Now, what Abraham did is real key right here. What he, what he did was he decided that every single month throughout the 90 odd years, when that time of the month came, and it was a reminder of the fact that Sarah wasn't pregnant, he made a decision that even though that, that was a fact, he was going to reset his expectation that next month would be different. Because if he didn't, then at any point in those 90 odd years, he would have given up. He chose not to prescribe his previous conclusion as his next outcome. And that's where we get stuck. We say, God, but this is, this is the same thing. I'm doing the same thing. I'm, I'm trusting you. Why is it going to be different this time? That was the conclusion last time. It's going to be what I'm going to face when I try again. But can I encourage you to not prescribe your previous conclusion to your next outcome? You've got to reset your expectation of what God is going to do. And maybe you are trying to get pregnant. You're trying to have kids. And maybe it is a monthly reminder of the fact that you're not. But can I encourage you that when the next month rolls around, reset your expectation that this time is going to be different. That God is going to do what He said He's going to do. I'm fully persuaded. There's not a shred of doubt in my heart or in my mind. Maybe you have gotten pregnant. Maybe you've miscarried along the way. And now when you get that, that pregnancy test and it comes back positive, what should be a moment of joy and celebration has this crippling fear that paralyzes you attached to it. It's not the way you should be feeling. Why? I've been pregnant before, but I've never carried to term. Can I encourage you that this time is going to be different? This time is going to be different. You are going to carry to term. You are going to have multiple kids. If you wanted one, I just said multiple. So you can get more than one now. Maybe you've been in church setting before and you've planted yourself. You tried to integrate yourself into the church community. You've done all the things, all the steps, the next steps, ABC, discipleship, attended all the courses. Maybe you've been at another church like that. And yet you've been left disappointed and hurt by leadership that wasn't good or healthy. Maybe that's where you've come from. And now you find yourself in a place where it's real easy to hide in a room of this size. And you're saying, God, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sit here for a little bit. I'm gonna hide for a little bit because I don't know if I'm ready to open myself up again, but I wanna encourage you this morning that God is saying to you, this time is different. You're in a safe house under good, godly leadership. You can open yourself up again. Maybe you are struggling physically with something. Maybe you're burdened with depression and anxiety and you've gone through all the prayer ministry that you know, but it's still there. Can I encourage you that this time is going to be different? You say, how do you know that? Well, I know that because my future isn't anchored in my hurt. It's anchored in my hope. It's not anchored in my last conclusion. It's anchored in what he said is going to happen. I'm fully persuaded. There's, not, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And we know that the battle is the Lord's. That's what the Bible says. You need only be still. It's not your fight. It's not your battle. Who believes that? The battle is the Lord's. 
But what that implicates is that if the battle is the Lord's, he's not just in every victory, he's also in every defeat. They weren't being disobedient going to battle. God said, yeah, go send Judah. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to give you the victory. But he didn't when they wanted it, right? Sometimes we've got to look at the details of what God has said, and we need to make a decision to trust him. We've got to trust him, right? Maybe God isn't just behind every open door, but also behind every closed door. We all know the opportunity of an open door, right? Well, if God has opened this door, then that's his confirmation that I'm meant to walk through it. But we don't ever stop to to assess who opened the door. Because maybe God didn't open that door. Not every open door is from God, just like not every closed door is from the devil. Maybe it was the devil that's trying to interrupt what God has planned for your life. But the Bible says that what the enemy intended for evil, God uses for good. So even if it was a devil, I'm not concerned because I know my God is greater. And what he thought would bring me down is actually what God is going to use to set me up for his plan and his purpose. But maybe God did close the door. Maybe there's an opportunity behind a closed door that will lead you to the right one. Psalm 23, 6 says, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. His goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. How do you see what's following you? You have to look back, right? You don't see it in your front vision. And that's why so often we miss God in the details because it can't be understood in the moment. It can only be understood in hindsight. It can only be understood when you look back and you're like, man, thank God. Thank God he closed that door. Maybe you were in a relationship and maybe it broke up and it broke your heart when you were in high school and you you still kind of think about it. Maybe you bump into them at the shopping center one day and you see them and you see who they've married and you see the life they're living. Maybe you're really happy for them. Maybe you're also happy it's not you. Maybe you get in the car, you say, man, thank God that didn't work out, you know? I really thought it was right, but now I can see, God, you were in that. Maybe God was behind the closed door with your work opportunity. Sounds counterintuitive, right? Might mess with your theology a little bit, but God isn't so concerned with what we want. It's more about what we need. Sometimes you take a job that will distract you and pull you away from the opportunity in Him. Because God doesn't want you to just get a paycheck. He wants you to live out your purpose. We pray for a paycheck. God prioritizes purpose. He says, I'll I'll make sure you have enough to eat. I'll make sure you have a place to stay. But all the other stuff is not my concern. I'm more concerned about you and who you're becoming. Do you know that God measures success not in outcome but in obedience? We measure success by how much you have, how many prayers have been answered, how much my life looks like, what I thought it would look like. But God says, that's not success to me. What success is to me is whether you're doing what I've asked you to do. And if you do that, that fills my heart. That's what God's saying. That's that's good for me. That is more than good enough for me. I know it's hard. I know it's hard when you're in the waiting place because God doesn't often give you all the details. In fact, He usually just gives you enough details to take the next step. We want the whole plan. We want to know what's the step after the step. And God says, no, no, I'm just going to give you enough to take a step, but not a step too far. Because that's all you need. I'm in the rest of the details. Let me worry about them. 
Do we have um, breakfast for Alma? Can we, can we bring it for him? Look at that. Jeez. What is that? What is it? Roxy, do you know what it is? Is it a tortilla? I think I said that right. And jalapenos? It's not jalapenos. It's jalapenos. It's silent. I know, I know. That's probably like one of your favorite breakfasts, right, Alma? You, one of your favorites, right? It's weird. Yeah, I know there's a few, but it's one. Yeah. How do I know? You reckon, maybe I'm prophetic, right? Maybe. Maybe a Michael Maiden rubbed off on me last time he was here. I took some of that for myself. Or maybe I asked Pastor Christian to contact Roxy and find out what your favorite meal is. That's more logical. That's what I did. I'll be honest. You didn't need to worry about any of the details other than know that the only detail was that you were going to get breakfast. You didn't need to worry about who was going to pay for it. You didn't need to worry about if I knew what you liked and whether it was going to be something that you would enjoy. You didn't need to worry about the timing of when it was going to be used in the message. You didn't even know that there was a part in the message that it tied into. You didn't know any of the details, but you sat there and you waited expectantly. In fact, even if you forgot about it, in the back of your mind, you knew that it was coming. Maybe not in service, maybe out of service. If I could set all that up with one one phone call, how much more can God in heaven, who knows all things, who is all powerful, who stands outside of time and sees all things at once, how much more is He able to ensure that every detail that is necessary for Him to do what He promised He would do for you is there? How much more can you sit there and wait expectantly You weren't anxious. You weren't stressed out. You probably didn't even know that you were going to get it, right? So why why are we like that with God sometimes? Why are we so stressed out? Why do we worry? He knows all things. He has all power, all authority. He said it. He's going to do it. He's organizing all those details that we don't need to know about. Bible says in Psalms that His Word is a lamp unto my, my feet and a light into my path. And that's because He just gives you enough to take that step. I don't need to know all the details. I just need to know one. God, are you in this? That's all I need to know. When Mel and I moved to Adelaide last year, I had pretty much zero details. Like everyone was asking me, where are you going to live? What's Mel going to do for work? What's it going to be like? What's there to do around there? I didn't know any of the above. All I knew was that there was a call and God said, answer it. So we went. So we were driving on the way to Adelaide. Mel didn't have a job to go to, but we got a call and Mel got a job. We had an Airbnb for a month and it's one of the hardest rental markets in Australia to get a place in. But by the end of the month, we were able to beat 50 people in an application to a, to a rental, even though 10 of them offered more money than us and we don't know the owner. And all we needed to do was trust God that He would give us a place to live and sleep. Then He provided a home for us, a place for us to live. And it's not a brag on me, God. I didn't do anything. I didn't figure any of that out. I just say, all right, God, you're in the details. I'll leave that to you. When you try and control all the details, you miss what God could do with them. It's better when God is in the details than when you have all of them. God knows that we're predisposed to want to know everything. And that's why we actually become a slave to what should be serving us, the details that should be helping us, they're actually enslaving us. 
can't move without Him, right? Instead of recognizing that God is in the details, we make the details our God. I need to know before I go. I need to know before I can trust. I got this um, message sent to me. It was about a couple of months ago. And it was from a youth girl who had struggled pretty significantly with a lot of mental health stuff. And I'd never really seen her happy and smiling and peaceful. It was always, you know, afflicted. But I got a message and all it said was that my sister got her breakthrough. I said, that's so cool. You got to tell me the story. So she said, no, no. How about she writes up the story in her own words and I send it to you. So, all right, cool. So I opened this up and I think I cried for about a week because it's just so powerful. This is her word. She wrote this. She said, I was officially diagnosed with autism and anxiety. I was unofficially diagnosed with selective mutism and depression. I went from physically losing my voice to losing my ability to leave the house. My day-to-day looked like unending cruel voices in my head, hallucinations in sight, sound and touch, inexplicable freeze responses, self-harm in numerous ways, attempting suicide. All of this was affecting my family. I would become so paralyzed in terror that I would drool and have to be carried in high school in front of my peers. So leaving the house was a gamble. Would I be able to control myself? Would I come home and shut down? So I often stayed home. I was on meds, in therapies, receiving prayer, willingly being half carried to the altar at church. Nothing fixed me. I lost my dignity in a very damaging way. I became extremely frustrated with my state. And since I'd been following Jesus for as long as I could remember, I knew God was real. So I began getting on my knees as much as I could, listening to worship music and crying out to Him. I'd read my Bible every day, getting to know Him. And against all odds, terror and literal forces holding my hands down, I eventually got on a video call with some believers who would not just pray, but also cast out demons like Jesus instructed in the Bible. Beforehand, I practically begged God to show up because I didn't trust people after certain things had happened to me. I felt like I couldn't trust people and especially not online strangers. I only trusted God and I wanted Him to free me. But I knew that God uses people. So what happened? The spirits behind my torment all left. It was like a waterfall peeling out of my chest. A weight was removed. That day I encountered the Holy Spirit like never before. I laughed like I had never in my life and I felt as light as a feather, like I was filled with light. The doctor told me autism was a lifelong disability, that anxiety never fully goes away. The doctor told me I was going to have to live with sensory overload. But ever since that day, I have never had my voice stolen from me. I have never cried myself to sleep, terrified of shadows beside my bed. My mind is peaceful, my body is under control, my senses are functional, and my grandma got to hear my voice after five years mute because Jesus died and rose again so that I would have the right to be free. He loves me as much as He says He does. She faced the facts, but she trusted His truth. She had been disappointed time and time again with her sickness, with her struggles, disappointed and let down by people. But there was something inside of the Holy Spirit prompting her saying, this time is different. It's different. Don't miss your moment. Don't miss what God wants to do right now. I know it's been your conclusion. 
but it's not your next outcome. God wants to do a new thing in your life. Today is a day of breakthrough. Today is a day of healing. Today is a day that you are no longer burdened by depression or anxiety. Today is a day that those unfulfilled desires get new life breathed into them. And I don't know what it is. I preached this in Adelaide. I said, broken relationships being restored. Somebody texted me, they said, I haven't spoke to my brother in years. I thought it was dead and gone, but out of the blue, he texted me. And we started to have a conversation. We're on the path to restoration. And she was crying, she's texting, saying, God came through. What I'm trying to do is not get you to put a limit on what God can do, right? We're talking about autism. We're talking about depression, anxiety, physical healing. We're talking about broken relationships. I don't know what you're believing for, but God does. God knows every detail about what you're believing for. God knows every detail of how many times you've had to step out in faith. But He's encouraging you this morning that this time is different. This time is different. I want to pray for everybody in the house this morning. So if everybody could just raise your hands. Whatever need you have, doesn't matter how small, insignificant, how large, how impossible it feels and seems, I don't know what facts you've been given, opinions that have been thrown at you, doctor's reports that have been handed to you time and time again. But what I do know and what I am fully persuaded of is that God will do what He said He's gonna do in your life. Lord God, right now we commit this moment to you, every man, every woman, every child that has their hands raised. It reflects a myriad of problems and situations, things that people have been battling with, fighting with, Time and time again. And Lord, we know what the conclusion has been because they haven't seen their victory yet. But we declare on this day, Lord God, that there would be a different outcome. Lord, we declare healing right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I believe that sports injuries are being healed right now in the name of Jesus. Diseases that have been diagnosed and described as incurable are being healed in the name of Jesus. Lord, people who have surgeries booked in and have given up on their healing, Lord, right now as they extend their faith one more time, I believe that this time is different for those married couples that are believing for kids that have faced disappointment time and time again. Lord, I speak fertility in Jesus' Name. We speak protection over those babies, Lord God. Lord, people who have been disappointed with their work situations, who feel... Like there's no hope for them. That the enemy has convinced them that they're, that they're no good, that they're useless. Lord, we know that's not true. So Lord, I declare that they would have a revelation of how you see them, of who you've created them to be. And I declare, Lord God, that you will open a door when it comes to their work that won't just provide for their family, but will push them further into their purpose, Lord God. Depression, anxiety lifted in Jesus' Name. Broken relationships restored in Jesus' Name. Lord, we rebuke the enemy. Right now, He's reminding you. You really think this time is different? You gotta declare it. Declare it when you leave this place. Declare it when you go home tonight. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, this time is different. God said so. I've got a new outlook. I've got a new outcome. God is gonna write a new chapter in my life. I'm not staying here anymore. We declare all of this in the name of Jesus. Name of Jesus. Everyone say, Amen. Amen. Amen.